Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyover Labs. This is Dave Cruz from Madison, Wisconsin. And today we are fortunate enough to have Fred Leichter with us. And Fred is a Senior Vice President of Design Thinking and Innovation at Fidelity Investments, but only for a few more days. Then Fred is off to to be founding, Founding Director of the Claremont College's Rick and Susan Sontag Center for Collaborative Creativities. This means Fred will be in charge of working with Claremont's five undergraduate colleges and their students to encourage, nurture, and implement creativity uh, programs among the students, as well as innovation. So it sounds like quite an interesting center and mission. So we'll talk about Fred's time at Fidelity and how he thinks about creativity and innovation, and then dive into his new role at Claremont and what what that will look like. So Fred, thanks for uh, joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Dave. Um, that uh, my two titles are a mouthful. You did great, so uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm ha- happy to happy to be uh, on the program and uh, uh, hope that uh, what I have to share is interesting for your listeners. Definitely. Well, I think it will be. And so, first, let's uh, talk a little bit about background and how you ended up at, as head of innovation at Fidelity. Yeah. So um, I've been at Fidelity. Uh, in Boston, based in Boston for the last 25 years. Uh, I started here, um, I tell my kids this and they don't quite believe it, but I started here in 1990 and we didn't have email firm-wide. <laughs> um, I think I had an AOL address, but I didn't have, we didn't have firm-wide email. And so um, I came in at a time when obviously things were about to change pretty radically. Um, I was fortunate enough to be part of the team that was uh, focused on electronic business in 1995 uh, after having worked on some operational um, projects. And in 95, 96, um, we had, Fidelity had had a uh, PC-based application that allowed our customers to trade um, electronically using their personal computers and, and software that we sent out on a floppy disk. Uh, but in 1995, this thing called the World Wide Web was uh, gaining some attention, and um, I started a little team to create a design for a website, uh, Fidelity's first website uh, called Fidelity.com. Actually, it was called FidIm.com, but we then purchased uh, the URL Fidelity.com. Um, so uh, we... And, you know, at the time, uh, 1% of Fidelity's interactions were electronic through that PC-based program. Um, and there was some healthy skepticism about whether the web was going to work, whether or not people would ever really um, look at the trade online or look at their finances online. Um, but um, we all know how that turned out. But what was pretty amazing is between 90 six when we launched the first integrated version of our website in 2006 uh, we went from one percent of our transactions being electronic to 96 percent in fact 92 percent of our interactions with customers were electronic so that little website and i saw the original prototype that i sketched out using some manila folders Um, that little website turned into an essential transformation of our business. Um, so I was um, lucky to be part of that. So, um, 
so that was the first you know big part of my career at Fidelity was um, building. And we went from three people on our design team to 150, mm-hmm. and uh, designed uh, Fidelity.com, the site called Net Benefits, which is where uh, people who have their retirement savings through their employer that then Fidelity manages their money, and then um, several other platforms that are used. Uh, institutionally, uh, like a platform called Streetscape, um, and then um, went on to design um, mobile applications for uh, people's phones and tablets. So I was fortunate to be in the right place at the right time where that big change was happening um, and, and um, managed that team from the inception in 96 um, up through 2010, so 14 years, which in internet years is, is uh, several lifetimes. <laughs> um, uh, and then, um, you know, that was, I, then I had a, along the way, um, I had learned about uh, the Stanford D School and gotten to know George Kemble, who, along with David Kelly, the IDEO founder, was starting the D School at Stanford. Um, and we visited them in. 2005, and George asked us, asked me if Fidelity would be interested in sponsoring a class at the Stanford D School. And I didn't take much convincing because he, he had he had he threw these three circles, which now people know well um, as uh, desirability, viability, and feasibility. But it, it it caught my eye, and we sponsored a class, um, and which meant that we provided a a capstone project for Stanford students at the school to work on, which was around um, getting young people to save money, getting people who are college and grad students or, or college graduates and graduate school students to save money. And um, that's when I first learned about design thinking and, and, and watched it produce some results beyond in terms of understanding the emotion that um, goes into something as cut and dry as finance. And as successful as we had been with, um, our websites, as I mentioned, you know, going to 96% of transactions, we still weren't, we were finding we were having a little bit more of a superficial interaction with our customers than we wanted. In other words, many people were coming in and logging in and looking at their balance and logging out. And that was a kind of a regular routine, which um, and we're, we're not trying to make people into active traders, but we've we have been trying to get people to be more planful and consider their um, uh, consider their finances on a longer basis. Um, so in that first class, what we learned, um, in a, there were a bunch of interesting proposals that came from students, but the one insight that um, really stuck with my team uh, came from one of the student groups who had been interviewing people my age, basically, and what they had to, what they had noticed is that. Um, everybody my age, um, I'm in my 50s now, um, everybody my age vividly remembered going to the bank with their parents, and they remember opening their first bank account, and they remember their passbook savings book. And in fact, they remember it so well that they they can still tell you to this day where it is and what drawer they have it stuck in. And um, it's a, it, it's it's a it's actually a little dry, little piece of paper book, but it has emotion built into it, and people remember it. They can remember the sound of the teller uh, typing in their balance. They can remember the smell of the, of the bank uh, and then the feel of the paper. So 
that for us was a huge insight that came out of design thinking, and and um, we use that on a bunch of projects to learn to make things uh, more emotional. So, um, long answer to your question, but that that is what led me into um, design thinking as a way to try to help deepen the relationships with our customers. And um, when it was finally time for me to hand over the reins of managing the, the user experience design team, the day-to-day operation of the website, I chose to move into a group in Fidelity called Fidelity Labs, um, where we focus on and to build out a, a design thinking practice to get us to be um, more focused on, you know, we're a very human-centered organization, but more focused on, even more focused on our customers and finding ways to talk to them more often and um, have more of a bias towards action and a, and a culture of prototyping, which are some of the mindsets that come out of design thinking. And, and can you give a, a brief overview on design thinking for the audience? Because I think it's interesting. Yeah. 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 So um, design thinking, is it didn't just come from uh, Stanford in the D school, but David Kelly did popularize that term. And and what he, what he used it to mean is that designers have a process that they follow. Designers usually start with... Um, trying to get a deep understanding of their users and understand what they need. And they interview them and they observe them and they watch them. And then, and then they, they um, think through their point of view and then they try it um, to create a lot of ideas of ways to meet that user need. And they create prototypes and then they test them and then they launch. And it's an iterative cycle. Um, and what David said is, that's the way designers think. We need to get business people and technologists to think that way. We need to get everybody to be design thinkers. And so that's where the term design thinking came from. Um, it was basically using the methods of not of all designers, but of good designers, but to use them more broadly and to bring them into business practice. Um, so it's, it, but it's, in a way, design thinking is a misnomer. It, a lot of people think it should be called design doing um, because it's really about being active rather than thinking. And, and the, the crux of it is, um, this idea that you should um, have a bias towards action and a culture of prototyping. Those are two, two of the uh, mindsets um, of design thinking. The, the other thing that is a key to design thinking is, is that um, I mean, I, this all sits on top of being human-centered, but the other key is that uh, you are causing there to be radical collaboration between people of different disciplines. So, at the D school, and this is one of the things that impressed us so much in that very first class that we sponsored. At the D school at Stanford, um, first of all, the D school is not a degree granting program at the at Stanford University, um, but they do um, seek to get students from all of the university programs and put them together into groups to work on problems together. So you will typically have um, a medical student, a law student, a business school student an engineering student, an arts and sciences student, um, maybe a journalism uh, student, uh, all working together on a problem. And and what you see really visibly is that these different disciplines and these different approaches to problems um, magnify the what, what you can see and what you can do. The engineer will have one approach, and the philosopher will have another approach, and the um, doctor will have yet another. It's put, but if you put those together, you are more likely to get um, out of the box creative ideas. Engineers will come up with the same kinds of solutions that engineers usually do, et cetera. But if you put different people together, then 
um, you're more likely to get a radical breakthrough and a great innovative idea. Interesting. And, and so how does that look at, fi- at Fidelity with uh, having a diverse group? And, and I'm curious, you know, if you have an example of kind of design thinking of a project you worked on and how, it, um, you know, kind of the process and how it works. Yeah, yeah, no, I, definitely. Um, so at Fidelity, what we found is historically, and this is the same in, in most large um companies um historically although we are there's there's a you know a strong ethic here around um doing the right thing for the customer that's always been here um but historically people still work in silos and so what we started to do is bring together um the marketing person the product person the designer the technologist the legal and compliance person. Usually legal and compliance doesn't get to something until the very end and then they tell you why it can't work. If you bring them in in the beginning, then they're part of that creative process. You bring those different disciplines together and um, right from the beginning of a project and then you also have them talk to customers as a group. You don't just say that the you will hire a research firm to do customer research. Research firms do great work, but we try to bring the customer into Fidelity and bring the team out to talk to customers often in their homes or in their offices to get a deeper understanding appreciation for what they're really, what they're really um, up against and what's in front of them. Um, so I'll give you a couple examples of projects that we have used this method for. And, and if these are projects that come out of um, are starting in the Fidelity Labs group or what we call um, small team incubators. Um, so we've uh, done a project and recently launched a service around um, end-of-life and estate planning. Um, and so that's not a core Fidelity business, um, but it is, and it's not a topic people want to talk about, really. And it's kind of a hard subject to approach, but it's a reality. There's a 100% probability we're all going to die someday. <laughs> um, and so, and yet, families don't have that conversation, and, and a shocking number of people don't have uh, wills, uh, and they don't have beneficiaries, uh, designated, um, for their children and they don't have, um, trust accounts built to, um, protect their family's assets, uh, when, when they go between generations where, where they could. And so, um, it's in everybody's best interest to just sort of think through and and there, and there, it's also a problem where everybody's convinced myself included, I'm not going to die tomorrow. And that's, true for a while eventually it's not not true and people procrastinate and and that's a very emotional thing so and i think it was sort of a perfect approach to have people if it was logical you would just do it or or if you had a deadline like you do with paying taxes you would just do it um but so we put together a service and really thought through how that would work and, and we started with an initial assumption that, you know that we could make it online that lawyers weren't necessarily necessary for everybody um, but we actually learned now actually there's a, there's a comfort and in, in terms of getting these done people do want lawyers but there are, but there's still obstacles to get people started and get them to the lawyer that we could overcome and that we could put together a service that would be valued by our customers without necessarily being focused on the ROI um, but, but with the assumption that if we provided a valuable service for our customers they keep more of their money with Fidelity and um, if more of the money would stay with Fidelity um, intergenerationally and, and at, you know, at the time when they did, um, when they did pass away. So that's one, that's one project where we use this method um, of success. There's another project that we're just in the midst of 
on the other end of the age spectrum, it's also a big societal uh, issue around uh, student loans. And um, again, Fidelity is not a, a, a bank. We don't offer student loans. Uh, we don't refinance student loans. But we have learned, as, as, as people around the country are learning, um, just what a big crippling uh, problem student loan debt is for people. But we were surprised even to discover it's not just for people, it's for families and parents with kids that have large student loans um, and uh, make different decisions and often poor decisions on what they do with their money. The people who have student loans in their families are less likely to um, invest in their retirement savings programs, even to the extent that they would get the free or the match that their employer provides to them. Um, so we've been digging in on that project, and we're just getting ready to launch some um, pilots and, and are in discovery mode still, but are uh, um, going public with some of the um, programs around that. So anyway, two two examples of the kinds of things that we work on. Interesting. So with like with the student loan example, how how do you come up with that idea, and then how do you like test it, and then actually roll it out? You know, do you have a process in place, or is it the, a lot of iterations, or? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a couple of processes. Design thinking is one. Um, another is a method um, called Lean Startup, which um, somebody named Eric Reese wrote a book and popularized it. Um, but that is to is to basically try to learn before you before you launch a service in detail and and put all the bells and whistles in place to try to figure out what is the so-called minimum viable product that you can create that will teach you about uh, what it is people will really do. Um, so. You know, we, the way we started the student loan project is basically we um, looked around for services that were available to people that were nothing we had yet created, and um, we put out a, a, a notice on our Fidelity intranet site and asked employees to volunteer to um, try out some tools to help them. Uh, analyze and potentially refinance for student loans, just so that we would watch that process and learn more about it, and, and, and more than do more than just interview, but to watch and see what would happen. You know, with 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 with, with great care uh, to be confidential about people's uh, personal information and and uh, not to ask some questions they weren't comfortable answering. But basically, that watch and what we learned is number one, many more people than we suspected volunteered. Uh, Number two, people ask if they could forward the invitation to other people in their families, which we didn't expect. <laughs> um, and then we watched it, we did, and we watched that um, it was a much more emotional, painful process than we had even imagined. And uh, and, and also learned that um, the the ex- while the services and the companies we had talked to talked about high satisfaction rates for their customers. Um, we learned that that was really only the case for their customers who had successfully refinanced. Um, the people who had been rejected for for refinancing for whatever reason, for credit risks or credit scores or or whatever, um, were fairly devastated. And that was a and mm-hmm. that we realized we had to do a way better job in handling people, regardless of whether they were going to be successful in refinancing or not. Interesting. And so, so that, so to answer your question, we were able to start that project without writing any software. Um, but we, and, but we went further than just interviewing people. We actually tried to, we tried to figure out a way to find out what the situation was and what the experience was, um, for people. 
Hmm, that's smart. Hey, you guys are uh, quite entrepreneurial there. I like it. Um, you got a good story. Okay, so, and uh, I want to move on to your next role, but I have one last question. And I know you're leaving Fidelity, but I, I'm curious if there's uh, certain technologies um, for the financial industry that you're especially excited for. It doesn't have to be technology. It could just be a process or, you know, what's kind of coming down the pipeline in your mind in the next, uh, in the future in the financial industry. Yeah, I mean, we talk about, so Fidelity Labs is a group I can back up and give you, you know, perspective. Fidelity Labs essentially um, does two things, um, very broadly speaking. One is um, we investigate new technologies and try to see whether they are applicable. Um, and we, you know, the for instance of that has been things like um, the iPhone. Or, and, and this, you know, where, where we did a quick pilot of the iPhone app. Even though Fidelity had had a, uh, had had electronic trading from um, uh, BlackBerry devices, but that hadn't had much uptake. But then the iPhone obviously had a lot. And so another example is Google Glass. We wrote a quick prototype for Google Glass. Well, Google Glass did not take off or has not taken off yet. And so that was a failure. But we were so ready and poised to act. Um, my group, on the other hand, the design thinking team focuses more on unmet areas of unmet need, like uh, student loans, like uh, end-of-life planning. Uh, like intergenerational uh, finance, where we, uh, um, where we think there are big societal trends like longevity, people are living longer. So my team starts, rather than from technology, starts with trying to find big areas of unmet need. But often there's an intersection, um, and uh, we try to we try to understand that. So um, you know, there's a lot. One of, one of the technology trends that we're watching uh, and, and um, experimenting in just to understand at this point is um, our, our cryptocurrencies um, uh, and trying to understand what that might do to financial services. If um, trades could be settled using blockchain technology, uh, what would that mean and how and how might that revolutionize the industry? So that's an example of a technology that we think um, we, should, we are studying because we think it has... Um, May change things drastically. It may be like the internet. Um, and then again, the, the security issues and the privacy concerns uh, um, uh, may cripple it. But we think that's the kind of thing that we should be looking at. Um, we also think artificial intelligence is is a technology whose time is coming rapidly, um, and that there will be applicability of artificial intelligence in in uh, financial services and financial management. And with uh, well, both those, of course, are interesting topics we've spent a whole podcast talking about each one um but just one more question follow up on the yeah the, the ai aspect artificial intelligence um i mean are you thinking or how could how are you how are you thinking how ai could affect the financial services industry um yeah i mean you know some of the obvious ways and there, there are lots of comps there are lots of startups that are, that are pursuing this yeah. um some of the some of the ways maybe around um portfolio construction um, and, and asset allocation and, and management and having, you know, smart asset allocation. I don't, I don't necessarily think that's all that artificially intelligent. Um, people know how to do that. There are algorithms that are out there. Um, more, the artificial intelligence may deal more with um, the nuance of somebody's personal situation um, and, and the nuance of, you know, very specific needs that people have based on their um age of their children and um, where they live in the country and the real estate holdings, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that's an area where um, we think artificial intelligence is, is 
has has promised. But however, um, and this is this is the kind of learnings we've had in the end of life planning project and even student loans. Um, people don't just act on logic and don't just act on on algorithmic logic. Hmm. Um, there is a certain amount of emotional um, security that people want to have, and um, they want to and 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 there's um, there's 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 usually a person behind that. Interesting. That yeah, that's a good point, right? <laughs> AI is not going to take over everything because there's always emotion. Well, for a lot of choices, a lot of things in life, there's a lot of emotion behind that. Yeah, and as you suggest, we could spend an entire podcast on that one. <laughs> yes. <it's>... Um, but <laughs> um, it, it's certainly an interesting topic. Definitely. Well, maybe maybe for another time. But uh, so let's uh. Let's talk about your your next role at the Claremont Colleges, and you know I, I was curious, what's the? Cause I, I I see this as kind of a model for other schools. You know, a lot of other schools have gotten more into entrepreneurship and stuff, but there's something to more of this creativity, innovation, which is a little different. And you know, and I'm yeah. So I'm curious, what's the goal of the the Rick and Susan Sontag uh, collaboration? Yeah. So um, for for your well, my exposure to this kind of thinking started, as I mentioned earlier, with, with the Stanford D School. In addition to sponsoring a class early, I was fortunate enough to be a fidelity-sponsored fellow at the D School and have a year in residence at the D School at Stanford and work on a fidelity project while I was there. So take classes, teach classes, and work on a fidelity project. And um, that's actually where some of the work around um, Understanding, uh, and I was working on understanding the needs of people um, in the so-called sandwich generation who have um, aging parents and kids in college at the same time, which is another um, another long, interesting topic. But what I saw at Stanford when I was there on the ground is um, how much power there is in this notion of interdisciplinary learning, how much power there is in the idea that you could bring somebody from the medical school, the business school, the law school, and the engineering school together to work on a project. Um, and and um, how you know how powerful the method in getting people to act on creating things quickly and, and being human centered was. So um, that's what the Susan's and uh, the Rick and Susan Sontag Center, it's known as the Hive, the Claremont College is, are, is trying to do at the undergraduate level. Um, if you're listeners who are not familiar with the Claremont Colleges, um, it's actually a, a consortium of, of five really great. Um, but very different um, undergraduate uh, colleges. Uh, Harvey Mudd, that's an engineering school. Uh, Claremont McKenna, that has really strong programs in government and political science. Uh, Pitzer College, that has um, really great um, arts and education programs. Scripps College, which is a, uh, one of the top uh, women-only colleges in the country, and then Pomona, that is a, a really well-ranked um, sort of a classic liberal arts college. Um, all five colleges are immediately adjacent to each other in Claremont, California. So together, they're known as the Claremont Colleges. But there's there is not such a thing. They all have independent um, curriculum. Uh, with their own focus, they all have their own campuses that are immediately adjacent, but their own campuses and their own culture and their own personality, um, which are all outstanding. Um, students from any of the Claremont colleges can uh, cross-register and take classes at the other, any of the other four colleges or five colleges in total. Um, there are also two graduate schools there. 
Um, but there, there hasn't been a program that actively integrated students together across all five colleges at once. Um, so the idea of the, the Hive, the, the Fontag Center, is that we will be creating a program for collaborative creativity to complement the great education that students are getting at the five colleges, but to get them to work on interesting, challenging, ambiguous problems. Um, ambiguous problems are the kinds of problems that don't have one answer. They have many answers and, 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 are, and are just difficult to understand. But to get them to work together where we would have a, a student from each of the five colleges potentially all working together on a team um, to identify a problem and find different ways to solve it. Uh, so that's what got me excited about it. Is that there was an opportunity to do something similar to what happens at Stanford um, and try to um, bring a, bring you know additional value to what are already great liberal arts educations, but but to do it in a, in a really unique way where where you're going to leverage the, the the skills and the disciplines that students have from different areas. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, and you seem like you'd be. A- an ideal person to help lead that. Um, what what would be an example of some like bigger problems that the the center is going to want to work on? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Thanks for you know for saying that. I mean, I think I'm I'm a good person to lead it in part because I I don't come from an academic background. I come from um, obviously as as we've been describing from a, from a business background at Fidelity. So, but I'm used to but I've spent time in the academic setting and teaching and have been a sponsor. So. Um, the kinds of problems people will may work on or students may work on may be the type that I described in Fidelity, but there may also be um, other problems that come from uh, the public sector or the social sector. Um, students this year, the, the program was piloted for this year, so it's, it's been in action for a year. I'm coming in to, to sort of bring it to the next level and get things more formalized. Um, they were, you know, for instance, they were working on understanding the needs of women in their 60s who have uh, new, uh, newly diagnosed or new cancer diagnoses. So, what are the what are the emotional needs? What are the what are the um, family needs? What are the what are the care? So, very specific, but a very sort of profound problem without an obvious answer. Um, they may be working on issues of uh, affordable transportation or affordable housing. Uh, in the community, um, they also may work on things where we bring together different um, programs. There was a class this year taught where um, it was co-taught between um, a materials sciences, a materials science engineer, and an arts professor to get students to um, create work together to create art projects while developing an understanding of the the uh, the composition of the materials that they were that they were designing around um, there's another project another uh, uh, class that's been proposed for next year where we're going to have um, students uh, study um, Native American studies and um, geology and ceramics huh. in, in which they will um, in teams, uh, go up into the hills of Southern California and find clay deposits similar to those that uh, Native Americans have found in the past. Um, understand the geology and uh, that, that's led to those clay deposits, and then create um, ceramic work, um, which they'll display in, in the hive. So 
so those are you know those are really nice juicy interdisciplinary problems where there's learning that can happen by being collaborative and hands-on and people will um, hopefully I'm, I'm convinced they will, they will see things differently and um, forge relationships across disciplines huh. yeah what a, what a wonderful experience for those young minds I mean, we we all wish we weren't looking back. We were part of a project like that. Hopefully, yeah. Don't you want don't you don't you want to sign up for that class? I know exactly. Get a shovel and start looking for fight. I might be coming out now. Um, and so, yes, we're almost out of time. I had a couple more questions, but uh, I mean, it sounds yeah. Like I said, it sounds like it could be a model for other schools and. uh, but what yeah, are, I, I think it will be, and we're, we're you know also working with um, uh, other colleges that are in the um, that, are, that are similar liberal arts colleges and and, um, and other universities, and trying to understand what are the programs, what are the similar programs that they have underway yeah. that um, in which we're trying to transform um, a part of the education of the students. Because I think so many colleges have the entrepreneurship stuff, and which is great, but it's, from my perspective, what you're doing is almost more relevant to entrepreneurship and just working at, and working at larger companies, but you know, it's just working on teams and solving difficult issues and there's no right answer. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It's different. You know what? An entrepreneur, nothing against an entrepreneurship program, but this is definitely not an entrepreneurship program. We're not purely, it doesn't mean that students won't come out of it with great ideas and start, yeah, exactly. um, small companies, but, um, this is much more about, um, a problem finding and a problem solving um, discipline and the benefit of working across disciplines that, that is not just about starting a company. It could be about joining a large company or working in healthcare or um, becoming a teacher. So, so um, I, I'm convinced that these are skills that are going to help people in all kinds of disciplines, not just starting companies. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And so the, the, the first, uh, first year and tw- 12 months that you're going to be there, what? You know, what are your priorities? How how are you going to measure? And maybe you're not going to measure. Maybe it's just uh, engagement you're going to measure. But, you know, what are your priorities? And also, do you have certain goals that you want to try to reach? It's, it sounds like goals are be hard to set, but just curious. No, that's right. I think you hit on the big one, which is engagement. Um, but it's in, in engagement in three places. Um, students, number one. Um, if enough students engaged and wanting to... Uh, Take classes, sign up for watch it for projects, or do work, do workshops. Um, then then we won't be succeeding. We want that engagement to be um, well distributed between the colleges. Um, similarly, we want faculty engagement. We want us to create combinations, get um, faculty from different schools in different disciplines to collaborate on classes such as the ones I was um, mentioning. Um, and then the third engagement is with the outside world, and that's part of. Um, Part of what I have to bring to the table is, is um, creating interesting dialogue with um, people in, in business or in the public sector or in, or in um, uh, the military. And there's all kinds of interesting places that we can create um, uh, interactions uh, for people and then, and then uh, be radical about the way those work together. Interesting. Yeah, okay. That's... So so you're right. They're not, they're not financial metrics like you might have. Um, uh, it, it's an entrepreneurial kind of venture and that we're getting this going off the ground. Um, but what we're trying to do is, is um, give people media, media opportunities to work together and um, to see light bulbs go off in, in their eyes in, in terms of the way they're approaching problems. 
Interesting. All right, what I can see why you're taking this role. Sounds fun. Well, f- f- yeah, um, thank you. <laughs> and all right, so one more question, and then we sh- unfortunately have to wrap it up. Uh, and this is more on a personal level. I, I was just curious. You know, you're around um, lots of creativity and bike and creative people, and yeah, do you have a process, or how do you get yourself like in a creative mindset or innovative mindset? And maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, do you have a process or do you have a, a method or it's just kind of a comes to you or, yeah, how do you No, think I mean, it? yeah, that's a great question. It's part of how I look at helping um, working with groups. I mean, there are a couple of different, there are a couple of different things that I do or that I do with the teams that I have here at Fidelity or, or I will do with student teams. Um, uh, it's a term we use called stoke, which comes from stoking the fire. Um, and so you want to warm yourself up, but it's not just warm yourself up depends on the activity. So sometimes we try to warm people up to be uh, creative by doing energy uh, activities or doing um, things that come out of the world of improv. Um, so, you know, like like um, adopting the, the two most important words in improvisation, which are yes and. and so to get people thinking mm-hmm. yes and we could do something else mm-hmm. and, and, and have some fun with it. So um, as a group, that's uh, that's an activity, a set of activities that we do to try to pe- get people to be generative, degenerative as groups. Um, as an individual and as other individuals, I also, um, the flip side of that is to, is to give people the space to be more reflective and, um, more aware. And sometimes that means being quiet or just going outside and sitting and, um, looking and seeing how many things you can notice. Um, and, and I will do that a lot. And personally, what I will do is I take a, a lot of, pictures, a lot of photographs, and try to just notice. I notice things through the camera lens um, sometimes that I don't see until later, but I, but, I, but I wonder about why it's interesting. I notice light. But um, getting people to um, meditate and reflect is a great balance with getting people to have energy in groups. Um, so those are the kinds of things that, and, and that, that I will do personally and then also try to teach people to do. Interesting. Yeah. No, that's great advice. I, I I love the yes and, and you're right. I have a friend who does improv, and yeah, I mean you're exactly right. But I never thought about that. And but when often when you come up with ideas, people it's easy to shoot ideas down right away, right? But sometimes well, we do a we do a little exercise here sometimes with groups, um, where you know you you throw out an example like um, you know let's plan a uh, uh, a birthday party, and and. And, and ask people to get together in groups of three or four and plan a birthday party. And, and you say, well, the simple instructions when you come up with an idea, um, make sure you're realistic and everybody just say, um, you know, two words in between every idea. Yes, but. Yes, but. Or no, but. Even better, no, but. <laughs> and then and people have that conversation and the room's kind of dead. And then you ask them how that felt. And they say, well, it feels a lot like many of the meetings I go to. Somebody's always an expert and shoots down my ideas. And then you say, okay, pause. So let's tell the same, same thing again. Instead of saying, no, but, I want you to use two different words. Yes, and. Everything else, same thing. Same same idea. Plan over a birthday party. And just getting people to use those words, it's amazing how it changes the tone, the volume, and the number of ideas that get generated. And then people's beliefs that they've come up with really good, interesting ideas, and that this is going to be a fun birthday party or a fun uh, activity, whatever it is that they're planning. Um, so it's a great thing for you and your listeners to try sometime. Just have a conversation, try it out, have a conversation uh, where, you, where you 
work on something and you say no but and then have the same conversation where you say yes and and you'll mm. be amazed at how different the two feel oh that's that's brilliant i think uh when you're out at claremont i think you should start a, start a blog <laughs> yeah that's it yeah yeah it, the only problem in my life is time yeah, I yes I, I, I will <laughs> I just either that out, or i'll just i'll just Either that, or maybe I'll just get on your podcast yeah, more regularly. There we go. That'd be awesome. No, that's a great example of uh, the birthday party, huh? That's uh, it's a good way to end the the podcast. So I appreciate that, and I appreciate the your time and the rest of your thoughts and uh, giving us uh, more knowledge about uh, how you think about creativity and innovation. It was a uh, it's quite it was quite interesting. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I enjoyed it and. Uh, uh, great questions and thanks for uh, thanks for asking me to do this. No problem and uh, thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Flyer Labs. I hope you enjoyed it as I did and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks everyone. Thanks, Red. Thanks.